Welcome to Pilgrim Lost. Come walk with us while we explore life in hopeful motion. Episode and and before we bring on today's special guest, we're starting with a special family member of Pilgrim Lost. It is producer Mark is on for a minute. Mark, I just I wanted I wanted those on YouTube be able to see you and those on podcast be able to hear you. But this is producer Mark who makes Pilgrim Lost work. Mark, how are you? Good, Tony. How are you? I am well. Um, You know, give us, I mean, when people write us, you're probably seeing the email first before you pass it on to me, or if people have thoughts about episode topics or whatever, they're going to be hearing from you. Um, You run the Patreon account, which we're so appreciative to our Patreon givers. You guys, you guys are awesome. You make this thing go. And if anybody else hasn't been to that, anyway, what, any thoughts for, for the community or anything that, as far as interacting with you that you'd like people to know? Well, we're very excited about uh, adding a, a YouTube channel to our effort for the first two seasons of Pilgrim Lost. It was exclusively a podcast. And then uh, uh, Tony and I made the decision a few months ago to start actually uh, recording these as uh, uh, as YouTube uh, videos. So we're using a wonderful platform called StreamYard. And all of our guests are now both on uh, YouTube as well as uh, conventional podcasting platforms. And that's been a uh, that's been an exciting uh, addition to us. And we're excited. We've got about six, uh, six episodes in the can for season three and a whole bunch of really exciting guests that are lined up for the remainder of uh, uh, the summer and into the fall. So we've got lots of exciting stuff going. We Really appreciate the communication that we get from all of our supporters. As Tony mentioned, um, if you feel so inclined, you can reach out and contribute to, to support us at uh, patreon.com slash Pilgrim Lost. And we're always interested to know what you guys are up to and where there are interesting places to trek. We, we had a guest uh, just about a month ago mention a really exciting new trek around Prince Edward Island in uh, Canada and the northeast corner of Canada, up close to Nova Scotia. And that led us to contacting the folks that have trailblazed that trek, and they'll be joining us uh, in a bit. So we've had lots of interesting uh, comments come from our from our audience, and that, that stuff is really helpful. So, In addition to wearing the producer hat, uh, to cover that lovely dome of yours. Uh, Mark is about to don the correspondent in the field hat, believe it or not. Mark will be actually on the Camino Frances in just over a month, uh, walking for his first time. Mark, how you feeling to put on your pilgrim shoes and dance across Spain? Uh, really excited and a tad <laughs> nervous. <laughs> I think... I think once I get out of St. John and up and over the, the Pyrenees to, to uh, uh, I think I'll be, I think I'll feel better. I, I don't know what it is, but that first climb looks a little daunting. I'm going to stay in Orison, which is only about 1,600 foot climb. And then up and over the Pyrenees at 4,600 feet. 
So I think once I get that under my belt, then I'll uh, I'll be uh, I'll be a little bit more relaxed and comfortable. But I'm super excited. I've been training for months and months and months. The effort has been great. I've lost a bunch of weight. I've gotten in much much better shape. You look great, by the way. I feel way. good. I really you really feel great. good. Thank you. And uh, so I'm excited. And the best part for me about the trip is my uh, my two sons who are 44 and 40, approached me about six weeks ago, and they said, we're going to walk the last 100 kilometers with you. So they're flying to Surya at the other end, and we're going to do the last 100 and enter into Compostela together, which is just an enormous blessing. I'm so excited about that. So looking Incredible. forward to it, Tony. Incredible. And Mark is... Uh, he's of retirement age. Can we say that? Can we say you're retirement age or past <laughs> retirement age? Uh, so um, I'm thrilled. And you and I have been talking about this for five years or longer mm -hmm. as you've been planning and dreaming about it. Like so many of our community dreaming for their chance to go like so many of our community, Mark, you, your time to go get, got delayed by COVID a couple of times. And um, I, I did want to tell you one thing. Um, I'm going to go ahead and ruin the surprise, but, um, as you Mark, as you recall, I had some fairly significant foot problems when I walked the Camino Frances that, um, acted up in a, on about day nine for me, my just kind of overnight, I had a couple difficult days where I couldn't get housing and I had to walk longer distances and, I let my foot care sort of go and just outside of Burgos, uh, my feet just exploded anyway. So just West of Burgos, I, my feet exploded to the point that I continuing was in question, like whether or not I'd even be able to continue long story longer. I was referred to a pharmacy. I, I went to a pharmacy in some little town West of Burgos and I grabbed just everything they had for foot care off the shelves. My Spanish is terrible. Went up. The pharmacist had broken Spanish, but um, he looked at my pile of crap and said, basically said in pharmacy language, what the hell are you doing? And uh, kept pulling stuff off of my pile and said to me, you don't need any of this, what you need. And then he reached over and there was like a display case, a handmade display case with handmade ointments in like white bottles with look like a printed on a, on a jet printer, you know, on the labels on the, and he goes, you need this, which was an ointment for basically muscle soreness. And he says, you need this. And it was just a little screw top with this pasty yellow stuff inside. He said, you put this on any like open blister or open um, wound on your feet. You put this inside of any of it, cover it up and your feet will heal. In, and he, he said, they'll, they'll just heal. And I was very skeptical, but I was also desperate. So I went ahead and I bought that and I bought some other like more traditional accoutrement. Well, within two days, my feet were fully functional. I didn't lose a day of walking. Um, uh, it might've been in my head, but it seemed like a miracle. Anyway, this last week, I tracked down that pharmacist from four years ago. I think I found him online. We've been exchanging messages. No way. And I'm going to try and get you yellow paste and muscle cream for your trip 
that's just so in case you need it. That is so great. Thank so, you so much. I hope I can so get glad. it before you go. I hope but, it works. Is there any chance that it grows hair also? Is I can possible? ask them. I can ask them if they have any follicle encouraging. I, I might just rub some of that yellow goop on my head and just hope for the best too. Yeah. That's wonderful. Yeah. Thank you very much. I so, appreciate it. Okay. And and that's a good transition because uh, our, our guest today is actually a podiatrist and long distance trekker, uh, Dr. Doug O'Hare, which we're very excited about. There he is. Uh, Hello. Dr. O'Hare, thanks for being here. We've been, we've been on an interesting conversation lately, the last few months on the podcast. We had um, some gentlemen on from the film, I'll Push You, came on and they, we talked a lot about engaging the stranger. What does it mean to be a friend, to, to, to be a caregiver to the stranger or to your friend, actually, in, in trekking and walking the Camino? Um, we talked with Jeremy Valorand, who runs uh, a slavery-saving organization, about trekking and loving the person on the other side of the world. Last week, we brought on a Cherokee scholar to talk about um, walking and loving and engaging the earth and our non-human neighbors and today i really want to kind of get into self like self-care self-love and um trekking and an active lifestyle and you as a doctor and a podiatrist um i just we're just happy you're here and thanks for being here glad to be here uh maybe you could just take a minute and introduce yourself like who are you where are you, where are you coming from um what are the what are the things that are most important to you about life maybe share just a few thoughts Sure. Well, I live in Waterville, Maine, which is central Maine. Uh, it's a town that I first got to know when I went to college here. And then once I did all my education and residencies and things like that, I set up my practice here in 1984 and have been here since. My, I'm, I retired about two years ago. Um, prior to retirement, I left my private practice and went to work for the local hospital, which is a trend, national trend. And during that time working for the local hospital, I finally got proper vacations. And, and during that time, I took a three-month sabbatical to walk across France and Spain, was waylaid by an injury, a different injury than um, what Tony describes. But I had my own particular injury, which was devilish to diagnose and mm. in the process of diagnosing that learned a lot both about treating myself and actually lessons that i brought back in the few years that i practiced after my walk so um and then to your point of like helping others about the second day on my trip i didn't intend to tell anybody i was a podiatrist in fact i started walking in france where there's a general reticence about talking about what you're you do for a living unlike americans where our second sentence is what do you do for a living right right almost true. almost nobody says that there um but I, there was a fellow in my dorm a german fellow who had huge blisters on his feet and he was struggling i could see him trying to and i just said you know i can give you a hand with that and he said sure and i got out these instruments and dressings and i could see his eyes get wide and I said, um, oh, don't worry, I'm a podiatrist in the United States. And he said, really? So I helped him, got his foot dressed up, and he went out and told everybody. And there's this thing called Radio Camino, which is word, or actually in France is Radio Chemin. Word travels up and down, word of mouth. And there were very few Americans. So one is a, they knew it was an American around. 
And second, they knew this American was a podiatrist. So I had a clinic morning, noon, and evening, most days. Wow. And uh, it was actually, it was tremendous. I, I enjoy, I mean, I've always enjoyed what I did, but this was help specific to pilgrims. And um, several of them estimated that I kept them on the trail. And uh, it was very gratifying. It was just, it's nice to have a way to give back to others. And for me, that was, besides all the pilgrim experience, it was a chance to serve others. And uh, I, I admit I got a lot of few, you know, glasses of free wine and beer, but that was my only. Um... <laughs> <laughs> I, w- I wish you'd been there when I was there. Cause I, exactly. I, and, I and, if, and, and in that intro, I'd be curious of those things that you're going to supply Mark to see what the elements are in them. And, yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Because uh, I'm and, always learning. I mean, even in retirement, I'm still, you know, my Facebook page for my office gets at 300 views a month and about 80 requests, even though it says I'm retired. So it goes to the people who are working in my department. Right. But um, so. Right. Yeah, I love I love that curious spirit. Well, I, yeah. I mean, honestly, I expected you to go, you know, don't trust those you know, homemade, whatever, but your thing is I'm really curious what they got there. Like, Oh yeah. That curiosity of spirit. And I mean, anecdotally, I couldn't believe, I mean, I couldn't believe the, the healing power that I experienced. And, you know, well, someone who sees thousands of truckers come through and probably a thousand or more come into, you know, he knows what he's doing or he's got experience. Yeah. Yeah. uh, He's right. He's right on the trail. I'm sure he sees every day. He sees foreigners stumble in, with yep. their backpacks going, I don't know what to do. And, right. um, and he, he chose to be a helpful, be helpful to use his craft. It's pretty amazing. But right. so um, to sort of jump to the bottom of the page to not bury the lead here, uh, you've actually, as part of your three month sabbatical, you produced a report, uh, a document yes. about sort of, Here's my 100 best ideas written in paragraph form with really clear headers of a whole bunch of just tips and things to think about when preparing for long distance trekking. Um, You specifically were applying it to what you did in France and Spain, but they really could be applied for anywhere. And you you're going to let us actually put that on on the show notes right and uh, sure where people yep. can get to it you're just you're open source about it again yes. generosity yep. of spirit yep uh, unbelievable thank you and um from that from that document and from just your experience you know working as a podiatrist as a foot doctor who works with people who are who are attempting these large athletic undertakings like right. g- give us give us your top three to five i just as far as feet are concerned, I wish everyone knew this, or this is the thing that's misunderstood or whatever. I'd love to hear your thoughts. Okay. So I, I, besides, you know, what I'm saying, there's, there's a lot of good advice out there. Um, and a lot of the good advice comes from the hiking community. And I admittedly, you know, there are things that I didn't learn in my office that I learned on the trail and learned from the hiking community. And uh, step number one is, is that whatever shoe size you wear, if you've never taken a long hike, uh, about three or 400 miles in, you will suddenly be a size larger. And if you don't anticipate that and buy your shoe appropriately, you'll be miserable. And you, in fact, you'll be miserable in some small little town where you can't procure 
the um, the shoe gear or the socks or something that you need. So proper size shoe, anticipate that your feet are going to lengthen and, and widen a bit. So that's really crucial because that's important. Um, secondly is is maintaining wait before we move on oh yeah um, i know one of the one of the main concerns that uh that blisters are created from heat and pressure right and one of the things that causes heat and pressure is movement of the foot inside so if you've got a shoe that's a like a size larger is isn't is a movement a concern or how could you just address that because i think that would be a question i would have Sure. So generally there's, there's lacing patterns you can do. You can, you know, if your shoes are, a, you start off with them a little bit larger than you anticipate, you can lace them a bit more tightly. You can lace them a little bit differently. If you Google running shoe lacing patterns, you will see different patterns that runners have used or hikers have used um, to tighten their shoes, to hold their foot. Um, if you snug your foot back towards the heel, then you leave yourself plenty of room in the front. And that's advantageous because if you ever go downhill on a long downhill and a shoe that's too short, you will end up, and I, I've seen this a number of times in my office, literally you lose all 10 toenails and which you've created raw wounds that will take quite a while to heal from. So yeah. that, uh, and, and clinically, I mean, I, I told us a million times like, it's always better to have shoes too large than too small. If, if you're on the fence, go with the shoe that's too large. And you can add, and then for other reasons, for blisters and others, a lot of times you'd be wearing double pairs of socks. So you can right. start out with an extra pair of insoles, a double pair of socks, all of which kind of take up room in the shoe. If your foot doesn't spread that much, you'll still be comfortable because you've got double insoles, you've got double socks. But if your foot starts spreading a little bit, you might take out an extra pair of those socks. Your feet are broken in, the skin is toughened up a little bit, and you're in your um, you're fine. Usually, double insoles are just plain comfortable. I recommend that quite often. Uh, before we move on to your other thoughts, um, the, I I'm an arrogant athlete. I mean, I'll just right when, when I went, I didn't do a lot of prep beforehand, right? Because I'm you know I'm. I'm in my fifties, but I'm in decent shape. And, um, Kari, who a lot of our community knows Kari really well. She was right. sort of my, my guide when I left and she was giving me all this really, really great advice. And I'm sure you would go right on, you know, she was like, stop every four or five miles and take your shoes off and take it and change your socks and, right. and give your feet 15 minutes to breathe and, and dry right. out and put on fresh dry socks. And I just rolled my eyes and I was like, whatever. And so I, you know, I started out, yeah, I changed my socks at the 12 mile mark, you know, as I'm not going to do it every five miles, but I'll, I'll change right. them once and I'll stop once. Cause I got places to go and I like to stay moving and why waste your time with a 15 minute break to dry out your feet. And I paid for it right. uh, because, because the, all the great proverbs in the wisdom lit literature of history says what happens to the fool. And I'm a great example of the fool. So, well, and the other thing is I always explain, as I always mentioned, my wife, when she observes behavior like that is like, how many times do I have to explain testosterone to you? <laughs> um, <so>. Exactly. <laughs> right. Right. And, and I, you know, I know that same thing, but I would say on the average day I plowed right through, never changed my socks during the course of the day, because part of that is alleviated by just wearing breathable shoes 
not a Gore-Tex shoe with membranes that hold in moisture. So if your shoes are fairly breathable, you know, that, that helps a lot. Um, just out of curiosity, is it just Gore-Tex or is it any waterproof, like, like event and other? Yeah, I, I think all of them. Um, and, you know, my, here in Maine, we have a snow season and we have a mud season and I have Gore-Tex shoes that I'll put on basically when, when I'm, my feet are in freezing ground or, or below that and there's mud and there's slush and ice and things like that. And I'm just about getting to the point where I'll put away my Gore-Tex shoes and through the summer, I won't wear them at all just to get the breathability and things like that. And when you watch people, and again, our section of the Appalachian Trail, if you've known people who have hiked our, uh, the main section of the Appalachian Trail, there's a lot of stream walking. And quite a few hikers just walk right through a stream, walk their shoes dry afterwards. So that you need shoes that can handle that kind of moisture and, and dry out. So, I mean, uh, we, our most natural application of trekking life is the community of Santiago and yep. you would recommend non-Gore-Tex, non-waterproofing shoes so that they'd be fully breathable. Correct. For, yep. for foot care. And, and if you get a long rainy day, even with Gore-Tex shoes, you know, your rainy day, your feet will be wet in 10 minutes and a Gore-Tex shoe, they'll be wet in 20 minutes. So you're, and you're going to end up with damp feet. And when the, when the feet, when the skin gets really saturated, as we, the term we call is macerated, um, the strength of the skin goes down markedly. And blisters are caused by a shearing force parallel to the surface of the skin. And as the friction of the sock on the skin, it sort of grabs the skin and then separates the surface from the inner layer. And that's where the fluid forms. And if it's bad enough, there's, there's blood in that fluid. So that's the idea. The drier your skin, the more, the stronger it is. Uh, and that's the, the idea of being wearing double socks. If you have two layers of socks, that shearing friction is between the two sock layers. You wear a very thin, thin synthetic stock that sticks to your feet and then a slightly thicker, say, wool sock on the outer layer. And that shearing friction goes between the synthetic sock layer and the wool layer and hopefully not in your layers of skin. So that's a fairly successful strategy. I would say quite a few people in the hiking community, I observed a fair number of trekkers using double socks for that reason. Um, so I'm out here in the Pacific Northwest. We've got vertical everywhere, right. you know, mountains all over the place, forests and gorges and you know, valleys and anything you would want as far as hiking. And there are a lot of people out here who, um, you know, on the weekend, they'll go on a 10 or 15 mile hike right. through the mountains, feel strong, come back, go to work the next day. No big deal. Um, and one of the things I try to explain to them and maybe, and you can, I'm sure you can explain better is yeah, doing a 15 mile hike and my, you know, they'll come back and say, my feet were fine and my muscles were fine and there was no big deal. There's a difference between doing a 15 mile hike, even if it's in the mountains and doing a 15 mile hike every day for right. multiple weeks in a row. The, right. the way that the trauma builds up on your body. Could you kind of speak to that a little bit and and help people understand the difference between like maybe the long walking every day and, and how that impacts your body? Um, it Nothing, I mean, I can't think of any specific, but I mean, you describe it, you know, you were 
Burgos is probably halfway when you, yeah, okay. So, you know, it's just a cumulative wear and tear. You know, you you get started, Mark will be starting in in a month and he'll be full of adrenaline and uh, he'll be so excited and things like that. And a lot of times you, you, you overlook little things, there's little nagging things, and then you start pushing harder or you just have a bad day and you've pushed yourself too much and you get to the end that you start to feel a nagging ache and it just, you're not giving yourself a chance to rest. Um, and to stop on the trail and rest for say a week is very hard momentum wise. A lot of times people have schedules to fly back in a certain time. So, you know, a, a weekend warrior has a chance to you know, they might be more sore than they think. And when they get up Monday morning, they're pretty, they're probably thinking, you know, I'm kind of glad I'm not hiking today. I'm just limping into the office. So if they're honest, they probably feel pretty whooped on that Monday. And if they were up doing that for the next few weeks straight, I think they'd be singing a different story. So, um, so that gets me to, you know, you mentioned some big items. Oh yeah. So really big item and, uh, you know, aerobic training is important and, you know, mix it up. You do cycling, you do walking, you try to do hiking on, on tough terrain, which is different than walking on roads. But a crucial thing that I have found over the last decade is weight training, which I consider to be crucial. And I would say weight training from head to foot. And prior to COVID, I would go to a gym and, and try to do literally every machine that they would have as a planet fitness. So, you know, widespread chain and try to maintain strength in as many areas, because I I think on a walk, your feet and legs and ankles and knees and hips will all be tested, but you'll be tested in other ways. You're, you're lugging your pack, you're lifting your pack, you're twisting, you're turning. You never know. Somebody falls, you're helping them up. There's just an overall strengthening that is uh, crucial. And then there's one other particular area. Uh, I don't know if you've heard of people, they will describe it. You need to exercise your foot muscles. And uh, they're very small intrinsic muscles in the foot, in the arch, and things like that. And you'll see a lot of advice you need to strengthen your foot muscles, which I actually don't agree with. I, I think the, the intrinsic foot muscles are very strong. But on the other hand, the muscles between the ankle and the knee, the calf muscles, the ones on the back, but also the ones on the inside, the outside, and the front. Um, if you ever had, quote, shin splints, you'll know what I'm speaking of, but there's muscles on all four sides. And I was surprised at the number of pilgrims that I saw, myself included. That was my particular injury. Um, and it was a pattern that I had not observed despite having been in practice for like over 30 years. And I have worked on a... And, I've sort of described it. In fact, I will send you an additional show note of like a handout. Here's how to specifically strengthen these uh, muscles, just using doorways, using bureaus, you know, just things that, you know, you don't, this isn't specialized equipment. But I had, when I came back from my walk, it's it's odd when you see something clinically, you see it at first, you think, where did, why didn't I never notice that before? And then once you've noticed it, you start to have patients come in over and over again. And I had a number right. of patients come in coach them on strengthening these muscles. They came back to me and said, how did I never learn this before? I mean, they actually were sent to me in consultation. They had problems that had bedeviled. And not that I'm smart than anybody else, but I just happened to have that experience. And um, I felt like I helped a lot of patients. So 
strengthening the lower leg muscles and the upper leg muscles, the quadriceps. So that the leg muscles, all four sides, upper leg and lower leg are all crucial um, for success because quite literally, you know, you described Oregon and, and Maine is our trails here are full of rocks and roots. And, mm -hmm. um, you know, you can't always feel like you can rely, well, you can't rely at all on, on landing on, on even ground. And um, one thing I found with aging is I found myself more and more unsteady. I found having done the strengthening, I feel much more confident in landing on most any kind of surface and being able to land, you know, adapt to it and not keel over, not sprain something, not trip. Uh, so my steadiness when walking, I'm not an unsteady. I'm older, I think, than I perhaps maybe I. Mark and I were trading ages, but I think I'm slightly older, but uh, <laughs> uh, I'm 71. So um. you look good. Uh, so we're going to, we're going to have, so you said there's an additional document on this sort of yes. foot muscle development. Yeah, just training the, the muscles of a lower leg. Um, Great. And then yep. also this sort of tips and tricks from, yes. from your treks. Yep. That's a multi-page document. Those are both going to be in the show notes. We'll also probably put them in the blog just so people can get to those. Sure. Encourage you to read them. Um, you know, every, we all need to build up our library of knowledge. Uh, Doug, could you could you talk a little bit about body awareness? And uh, this is something that that I'm particularly terrible at. Um, but I learned the hard way by by walking the Camino, and I wish I had right. started day one. I sort of learned to um, to check in with my body multiple times right. a day when I was walking. And I, I personally just sort of made up a way to do it. Could you speak to that? Like sort of how to check in with your body? I, I'm so used to just running through my days that I never think about, hey, what's really going on? Where are my tugs and pulls? Where are the, where are the slight issues that may be growing? Could you just speak to that a little bit? So I, th I think that the Camino is a very good opportunity that because in general um i don't know how, how what your experience was but the majority of the time I, I walk with other people a fair amount of time and in france conversations would be you know it depends how much english they spoke because my french was pretty amusing to them so you have a fair amount of time by yourself mm -hmm. and you have a chance to observe the countryside and the incredible history and things like that but you also have the chance to observe yourself Yes. And <clears throat> so I I can't say as I went in an order, but I would quickly focus on what was going wrong. And and that's I mean, it, just for, say, a blister, for instance, every hiking hiker will tell you as soon as you notice something is wrong, stop and make a change. I mean, I guess that would be. Yes. Because we, we do have a tendency sometimes to plow ahead. We think something is like. And, and that's actually tough sometimes if you're hiking with a group, you don't want to make them stop. And, and you don't want to do it excessively, like stop every 50 yards to adjust a strap or something like that. Right. But I think you'd be surprised sometimes if you feel like something like blisters coming on or saying like, say to the others, I, I feel like I've got a blister, I've got a hot spot on my foot or something like that. Right. Um, these things, problems don't suddenly happen short of a trauma you fall or something like that but overuse things there's there's little niggling things that start to happen and if you can address them right away 
and keep addressing them and keep learning things about your body. And um, <clears throat> whether to use trekking poles, whether not to use trekking poles, using them in certain situations. Are your shoes working? Are they slipping, sliding, things like that? Yeah. Um, can I get rid of some of my gear, lightening your load? You know, just all manner of things. There's right. really an infinite number of adjustments that you can make. And, you know, I've hiked since I was a Boy Scout and, you know, boyhood. I'm still learning things. I mean, every time I come back from a trip, uh, I do winter trekking on, uh, we ski into parks in Northern Maine. I mean, I went on a trip in January. I think I came back with like 20 things I'm going to change on my next time. So mm. take mm. notes. Don't always trust your memory. Um, and if it's something yeah. you can't address while you're walking, Make a note to yourself, jot something down, address it, um, ask other people for help. Um, you might find a podiatrist. You might, if you're cycling, you might find a bike mechanic and uh, you then address things as you can. Yeah. I was always amazed that, you know, hikers use this term hotspots. You used it as well, you know, uh, notice the hotspots or whatever, but for whatever reason, I don't notice that. Like, I don't, unless I, unless I'm intentionally looking for it, I don't notice. I'm not, I'm not aware that they're happening, but I, sometimes I would do it in motion. Like while I was walking with my backpack right. on at mile point seven or something on in a day of walking, or I might do it in a break stop. And then, you know, I'll start with my big toes and I'll just sort of walk through each one of my toes and through the ball of my foot. And I'll work my way up through my body, all the way up through my right. shoulders, which obviously take a lot of pressure from the backpack and even, and even my head. And I'll just kind of walk through and go, what's going on here there. And I started to use the term warm spot actually, because I need to really dial it down, you know, like anything that's going on, I want to make a mental note of it. Right. And then when I check back in three miles later and go through that sort of liturgy of my body again, right. Has it gone from warm to hot? Has it gone from a four to a five? Has it gone from a four to a six? Okay, then I really need to be aware of that. And you said make an adjustment. That's great. Some kind of adjustment. Yeah. Uh, just to acknowledge it and to protect yourself. Because I found that it there's really an exponential sort of picking up speed of some of these problems. You know, it yeah, feels like, right. oh, it's just, it's just getting a little bit worse. It's not a big deal, but the amount of time it takes to go from a one to a two, it takes that same amount of time to go from a two to a seven because right. it sort of grows really quickly. Does that, do you, do you resonate with that thought? Yeah. And it, it, I'm reminded sometimes like if you, when we all drove old crap cars and you start to hear a hole in the muffler. And if you don't address it right away, like within 10 miles, suddenly your muffler is, you know, so, and um, chafing is another area like skin chafing. Um, there are different areas that some people between their thighs and different, and, and you start to notice that a little bit, but it really gets bad towards the end of the day when you've walked a lot and the skin starts to get kind of frayed. And if you don't nip those things in the bud, they, as you're, you're exactly right, they just, multiply and it's not a linear progression but it's a gm you know logarithmic progression they just seem to sky up skyrocket up yeah you mentioned you and mark had a chance to chat offline uh, a couple weeks ago and you mentioned something that happened on the meseta that you were at an albergue and there was a lady who was having foot problems yeah you mind telling that story sure 
So on the it was um so I had the experience of you know I walked in France, enjoyed it thoroughly. Um, I started attendance started aggravating me, uh, in the first few days, last few days for Saint Jean Pierre de Port, I did not, and I would advise Mark if he's not feeling um, like going over the high route. My leg did not feel like I could go to the high route, so I took the low route to uh, Roncavalles. Got to Pamplona, rested a while, and um, just basically could not proceed. So that, so I bought an old bicycle, and I had worked as a bike mechanic, so that was fine with me. So I was riding across Spain, and while I was riding, it was I was leapfrogging walkers, so I didn't get to know people. So it wasn't as intimate as an experience. Mm. So I never got identified as a podiatrist. I, you know, didn't have a chance to bring it up, and didn't really want to. But the Meseta is a uh, an area that reminds you of the American Southwest. It's kind of dry. Um, you can see a long ways ahead. Uh, some people dread it. I'm not sure I would have wanted to walk across it, but biking was great. Um, it was, I was passing the, a lot of pilgrims on a dusty road and there was a crossroad. I remember and somebody, there was a, in fact, I saw somebody at the crossroad and they said about two kilometers that way, there's a monastery. There's an albergue there. And um, they have some springs or something like that. So sure, walk down, uh, road down. It was, the Meseta is very dry, but this is like an uh, oasis. There was grass and there was a series of pools and there was a couple there. And they both had their feet in the water and I chatted and they were Canadian and we were chatting back and forth, English Canadian. And the woman said, you know, I came here because legend has it if you, um, put your feet in this water, it will heal what you have. And I said to her, I said, uh, well, this is your lucky day. I'm an American podiatrist. I got nothing to do. I've got an easy ride ahead of me. Tell me what your problem is. And so we chatted for about an hour. I advised her on quite a few things. I don't, we didn't exchange contact information and things like that, but it was just, it was a sunny, hot day. We were in the shade with our feet in these cold water pools so it still it stands out in my mind just the image and just the again the opportunity which i'd had in france but which i did not have that much in spain to be able to help somebody along the way skills that i had but but uh glad to glad to use them wow um i i do not know about those springs i wish i did know about them because that sounds yeah amazing. i'll track and down the narrative and Healing. And I, th I think it's a place, I'm not even sure they have electricity. I, I tr trying to recollect, it's one of those places if, you know, here in the States, you see if there's electric poles going to a place, but I think it was off the grid, probably has been off the grid forever. And it's, looks quite old, uh, looks to me centuries old. Um, uh, la last thing I wanted to talk to you about, um, just to, again, as a, as a doctor, I, well, I'll say, I'll, I'll put it this way as a, I'm a student of culture that some of my studies are around that area. Mm -hmm. And as a Westerner, as a, you know, post enlightenment dualist, there's a, there's a sort of, there's a tendency to teach and to believe that my body is just a, just a meat machine. And the real me, the real me is this soul spirit personality thing. And the, 
the body is just this robot that my soul manifests and it's it's here it's neither here nor there it's just a sort of a functional requirement of life to have this thing this physical thing that uh, my personality and soul inhabit right do you have any thoughts that i'm hoping you can counter that a little bit with, yeah. <laughs> like our body really is an important aspect of who we are and um it's a holistic aspect of who we are that 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 filters in and and saturates every aspect of our being right right well and and i appreciate your point of view i probably could not take a more opposite point of view and, and that's not to be contrary or anything like that is um I am astounded by the body. I mean, I, I, I feel incredibly, you know, I, in my retirement, I think my hobby is reading about health measures and lifespan measures. And I'm not talking about cosmetic things. I mean, I, I made allusion to the paper about um, nasal breathing. There's incredible power in breathing. There's incredible power in diet in terms of uh, things that you can eat are healthy, things that enhance your microbiome, the, um, you know, the sort of the gut flora. So there are so many health measures and they are to enhance our health span, which is our, not only our life, the, the amount of time we live, but the, the amount of time we live uh, healthily. And employing those measures is, it gives you, um, I guess, it gives you life and it gives you a gift because I, one thing that I saw so much in practice, I mean, as a podiatrist, I saw a ton of diabetics and it broke my heart almost, oh, I don't know, several times a day, people that I cared about and I, they had different clinical problems, but they would step back and say, I am so miserable in my life. You know, their, their diabetes was plaguing them and they generally had kidney disease and heart disease and, and uh, foot wounds and, and all kinds of things. So a trekker generally is going to be somebody who's pretty healthy, but there's all kinds of ways to respect the body, to strengthen yourself, to learn how to breathe, to learn how to eat right. And then you become this literally incredible machine. And, and I cannot, I, I just feel eternally thankful and grateful that there are ways to learn this stuff. I mean, the internet is fascinating, the number of things I can find. Um, I maintain a subscription to the New England Journal of Medicine, so I try to keep track as much medical stuff. But there's a lot of people like that pharmacist in Burgos, and there's a lot of people in the hiking community. And a lot of people keep putting ideas out there for continually improving. So I guess, you know, when I come back from a trip, I describe like 20 things that I'm doing in my gear. But I come back with a number of things, things I can do different physically uh, I was kind of weak in this area. I didn't dress, you know, I, I wore the wrong clothes in this situation. So um, I tend to not ignore those things. And uh, and I have friends, and you you maybe, I have a few friends, I almost, we call them like the mind-body disconnect. We're, we're in a group and they just go ahead and hammer. And they'll arrive in a place and they're like bleeding or something, you know, they, like, didn't you notice this stuff? No, no. They just like, so you may, you may be at the, and I'm, I'm not, I envy that they can um, sort of put mind over body and, and just plow ahead. But I, I am of the type to constantly observe uh, and the complexity I find in the human body, the interactions uh, and all manner of things just, I find, you know, like I said, fascinating.
in that uh, in that pharmacist story that I told, you know, I, I dropped that pile of random foot care items, right? Ointments and tapes and second skins and you know whatever. It was a little pile, and he just picked through it and it was like, you don't need this, you don't need that, you don't need this, you don't need right. that. Can you give us sort of a you know, if I could just let people know that this isn't as helpful as they think it is, you know, for, for the medical kit you take with you, like you don't really need this or you really do. Nobody takes this and and this other thing yeah. is actually a lot more helpful. Do you have any thoughts on that? I know I'm putting it on the spot. Yeah. So one P are you familiar with a uh, paper bandage tape? Yeah. It's very, sort of very a- thin paper bandage tape. And, and one brand is 3M Microport. It's good stuff. Uh, 3M makes good tape. I have no, no connections to 3M. So like a, a one inch roll of 3M Micropore is very handy stuff because did a study in ultra marathoners, people who run like 50 to 100 miles through the mountains. And they had them, you know, they, they know their bodies pretty well. And quite frequently, they know their hot spots. They know when they run a certain distance by mile 20, this particular spot on my skin is starting to give me, they tape themselves up beforehand. So 3M Micropore is is good stuff. Great. Um, there's a solution over like moleskin or athletic yes. tape. Yeah, it's much much thinner. Um, Great. And when you put any kind of you know if you put on moleskin, uh, the European one is called Compede, I think it is. Compede. Um, yeah. Second like skin. Many of those are quite thick. And the skin gets very macerated or whitish underneath, and it actually weakens it. So you put on micropore, you've put on a protective barrier. Um, it's called micropore because it has very small holes in it. They, it sort of breathes through it. And then you put a little bit of, um, carry a little block of paraffin, and you wax the surface of that micropore. Suddenly, that hot spot, what used to be a hot spot, is now a slick spot. And it'll slip back and forth, and you will generally not get a blister in that area. So good. Uh, uh, another one is, um, you know, little alcohol swabs. Uh, there's a, a substance called povidone iodine. It's an antiseptic. Uh, it's an you can get little povidone iodine swabs like you can alcohol swabs. I typically have five to ten of those in my um, first aid kit. And they're a good disinfectant. They're a good drying agent. So they're pretty handy. Great. Gold. This stuff is gold. Um, so all these things we're going to put in the show notes so people can go check them out. And, and re- you don't have to remember the names if you're listening. Uh, they'll be in the show notes so you can uh, go back and see them. But uh, Dr. Doug, uh, is there anything, is there anything you haven't had a chance to say that you'd like to share things that you think people need to know or pearls? Well, if, if I may address the spiritual aspect Please. and, um, I found myself, my breath taken away, um, a little more apparent in France, but you're walking on trails that have been used for a millennia and, right. You're you're walking as people did. You you come across a hill and you look across a valley and you see a, a village, you see the spire, and you're like a pilgrim. In fact, the very first travel book ever written was a book about the pilgrimage tra- tra- trails down through France to uh, and across Spain. And I frequently had the feeling that 
you know, generations and generations of people have walked before me. And a lot of times the, the structure of the village was set up for a walker approaching through a certain passageway and that kind of thing. So um, the churches in France were quite stark. Uh, the insides of them were cleaned out in the French Revolution. So they're very, I, I like them. A lot of times they just go into all there would be, would be wooden benches, but they were placed for contemplation, for prayer, for solitude. Um, they were cool on a hot day. So that aspect of, and, and there's nothing like that in the States that I know of, that knowing that a trail that has been used for so long uh, for, that has meant so much to, to so many people. So I, that's my, the take I, you know, what I took from it. And I don't express it as well as a spiritual person, but. Uh, <laughs> I felt the heart of it. Yeah. Uh, Dr. O'Hare, thanks so much for your time. I, I mean, honestly, I, I could ask you a hundred more questions and maybe when we're off air, I'm going to ask you a couple more that I have personal questions about, but really appreciate you coming on um, over there near the, the other Portland, as we'd like to call Correct. it yeah. from here in Oregon. Uh, but, um, oh, by the way, have you ever been up to Prince Edward Island? Have you ever been on that new track I, they're putting together? Well, that's new. The, the trail is new. Yeah, I it spent, is. I, um, I used to have a job leading teenagers on bike tours and I spent oh. a month in PEI. So PEI is a, is an interesting place. When you go up through Maine and in New Brunswick, you're through a lot of forests and then you land in PEI and you feel like you're in England. It is very pastoral, uh, hmm. rolling Hills, beautiful place, uh, gorgeous beaches, uh, very nice people, great seafood and things like that. So I haven't been there in a while and it's, on my very short list. It's about a seven hour drive from us from here. Um, okay. So I'd like to get there. I, I tend to go to Quebec more than um, PEI, but. Okay. Well, in a few episodes, we're going to have a whole episode on uh, on that particular trek as an option. If you don't want yes, to go to no, Europe, I will be... you can stay in North America and have a whole experience. They've got guest houses along the way and yes. services pr provided. And it sounds yeah. like, it sounds great. And there's a... Um show i think on netflix and with an e so if you want to see a lot of um pei scenery they shot it there uh, okay yeah great man you're just pearls of wisdom left and right. right all right everybody that's um that's dr doug o'hare thank you so much for your time uh giving us you know helping dumb jock like me understand some stuff appreciate it um this is pilgrim lost and we exist for you the community to talk about these things to wanting to be more whole, wanting to be more connected to our bodies, wanting to live as fully functional, holistic um, beings that are, are embracing uh, a life that is full of creativity and a desire for the beautiful, the true and the good. And um, Dr. O'Hare, you've helped us do that today. And to all of you who are part of the Pilgrim Lost community, thanks for being here and we'll see you again soon. Thank you for walking with us. To stay connected, visit us at pilgrimlost.com. Please comment, share, and respond.